Welcome to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk AM 1150. Have a great show today. We have the founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound with us today celebrating International Assistance Dog Week, which is this week. August 3rd through the 9th, we have Gene Hample with us. Before I start my talk with Gene, I just wanted to announce one of my favorite events coming up this summer. August 22nd through the 25th is the Vashon Sheepdog Classic. It is a sheep herding trial with uh, mostly border collies, and it's on Vashon Island, which is just west of Seattle. Um, beautiful ferry ride and a great way to spend the weekend or a day out of that weekend, August 22nd through the 25th. Um, pretty much all day starts at, I think, 8 a.m. and goes into the late afternoon. Um, there's all sorts of vendors there, local food, um, demonstrations, and then, of course, the trials themselves, which are really, really fun to watch. Uh, anyone who loves um, dogs is going to find that to be a very interesting thing, watching these handlers and dogs work together to move sheep. It's just gorgeous. It's on Misty Isle Farms which is on Vashon Island. It's over 30 acres of rolling green hills, and sheepdogs from across the U.S. will have an opportunity to show their finesse as they take control of the Willamette Valley lambs. Um, It's a great event. VashonSheepdogClassic.com is the website, and again, that is um, a little bit earlier this year. Usually it's in September. This year it's in August. August 22nd through the 25th, VashonSheepdogClassic.com. It is a great event. So this week is International Assistance Dog Week, and we have um, Jean Hample back on the show with us. Jean, welcome to the dog show. Glad to be here again. Nice to have you back, as always. And we've done this show now for a few years in a row, at least, celebrating um, International Assistance Dog Week and really in efforts to raise awareness about assistance dogs, um, you know, in the world and to educate people who are not are not partnered with an assistance dog and to also educate people who are or are thinking about it. So Gene is the founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound and a former director of the Prison Pet Partnership Program. And um want to start off, Gene, uh, talking. I have a lot of questions for you today, but I want to start off with the legal definition of a service dog or assistance dog. Um, this is something that I know you have heard a ton and I have heard too many times the... Um, term service dog, people calling them therapy dogs, and that's an entirely different thing. Um, So what is a, legally, what is the definition of an assistance dog? Well, the American with Disabilities Act refers to the word service animal, and they define a service animal as a dog that is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. So... There's two aspects to that, that the dog performs tasks or does work with someone who has a disability. So what are some examples of um, service animals? Because I think a lot of people think of, you know, a guide dog for the blind and aren't really aware of the other ways that uh, service animals can help people. Well, you know, as you said, this is International Assistance Dog Week and uh, Governor Jay Inslee 
uh, has uh, proclaimed the week of August 3rd through the 9th to be uh, the International Assistance Dog Week in the state of Washington. Mm -hmm. And in the proclamation, they actually talk about the different things that dogs do. Mm -hmm. Uh, They talk about the guide dogs that help with visual impairment by helping uh, blind people navigate their their world. Mm -hmm. Uh, They talk about dogs for uh, for people with uh, mobility disabilities, uh, people in wheelchairs, people that need help walking. Uh, dogs that work for people who are have a hearing loss, who uh, will respond to sound f- uh, for people, so that they know when the alarm clock goes off, or the or the most important being, of course, the smoke detector in their homes. Mm-hmm. And then there are dogs that are alert to seizures or respond to seizures or other medical conditions, uh, and dogs that will alert to to things like uh, the change in blood sugar in people who are diabetic. Mm or dogs that are aware of oncoming panic attacks or help people with post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. So, you know, dogs have, over the years, been trained to do so many different things, uh, and we have found that there are more and more disabilities that are actually aided, uh, that can be, uh, people's lives can be improved by mm-hmm. using a, a service dog to help them with their disability. Mm. Now, a uh, uh person with a disability plus a dog does not equal a service dog. You know, Julie, that is such a good point. And we hear in the news, you know, all these problems that people have with access with their service dog. And the the bounce back from that is always, well, the reason I didn't want to let that person in was because I had a dog in previously that growled at somebody in the store or peed on the groceries right. or, you know, did all of these things. And, and so when we look in terms of people with disabilities and service dogs, it isn't as simple as it sounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the really interesting things recently uh, on one of the lists I'm on that I've been reading is people have been talking about not needing to go to a doctor to be a person with disability. In other words, they're self-diagnosing. Mm. And the, you know, in calling the uh, American with Disabilities hotline, and sometime I, I want to give you that number because I think that's really important to have. Okay. Uh, you know, the ADA person that was on the line was asked, uh, you know, can someone diagnose, self-diagnose that they have a disability? And they said absolutely not, that that, was, yeah. that could lead them to a fraud charge. And that the ADA or the American with Disabilities Act is for the protection of disabled persons. And to, be legal, to legally be disabled, you have to have a doctor diagnose and attest to the fact that you have a disability. This isn't something that a person can just decide on their own. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the term disability is a medical legal term. Yeah. And yet people seem, it seems that people are playing very loose with that, either because they might think they're right, or they know very well they don't have a disability, but they just want to be able to have their dog with them. Mm-hmm. So that's one side. And, the, and, of course, the other side is that for, it says that the dog needs to be individually trained. Yeah. And to, 
if I'm a person with a disability, I can't take my pet everywhere with me if all my dog is is a pet and hasn't been trained to assist me with my disabilities and hasn't been trained to act appropriately in public. Yeah, and that's an, a really important point that I want to pull out is that the training that's involved for a service animal is not just the task training it's also the public access training, like you said, so that the, so that the the dog is uh, well behaved in public for a number of reasons, and also you know one of those being that the dog is comfortable being in public and being taken to all of these different places as well. And it's I'd you know this is a I'd say one of the biggest problems in my eyes is. You know, one of the things we wanted to talk about was this concept of a, of a fake service dog and that, you know, the challenge that there isn't a, a registry or a certification that you that you go through to register your animal as a service dog. It's not regulated at this point. Um, so there is a lot of room for fraud to happen um, and it ends up harming you know, the public and public safety, in addition to people who do have well-trained, legitimate service dogs. So one of the uh, couple things I wanted to ask you about, and I think part of the problem is that store owners or managers are afraid to say anything um, to someone if, if they're, if the person's dog might be acting out in public, that there's a fear of, well, I can't say anything because I'm going to get sued. So what are the um what are the questions that can be legally asked of a person who who may be entering a, a restaurant for say for example with with the, and saying that it's a service animal what can they be asked You know the American with Disabilities Act is very specific about that and says that the staff may ask two questions The first is is the dog a service animal required because of a disability And the second, what work or task has the dog been trained to perform? Okay. The staff, you know, cannot ask the person, what's your disability? They're not allowed to say, I need medical documentation that you're disabled. Right. And they're not allowed at this time to require an identification card or training documentation on the dog. And they're also not allowed to ask for the dog to demonstrate the task. Okay. So those are those are two questions that that can be asked. And then so then are there are there any situations where somebody can be legally asked to leave an establishment with their service animal? And and if so, what would those circumstances be? You know, they the business owner definitely has rights Mm -hmm. and a dog that is out of control and the handler does not take effective action to control the dog, can be asked to leave. So if somebody came to, and this could be a, I always use the uh, quotations around the word fake because people talk about that. We can be talking about a dog who is actually a trained service dog. If, or we could be talking about a dog that is just a pet. It mm-hmm. goes to the movie theater. For whatever reason, it begins to bark. Right. It barks once. The handler reaches down and says, shush, and the dog is quiet. Mm -hmm. Fine. The dog continues to bark. The dog can be asked to leave. Mm -hmm. Uh, A dog who's at a restaurant, 
you know, shouldn't be up on a table, shouldn't be eating food off people's places. Uh, you know, the dog is out of control. The dog can be asked to leave. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, of course, service dogs have to be housebroken. Mm-hmm. And those two things are spoken of in the law, in the uh, American with Disabilities Act themselves. They talk to those two things. The dog must be under the control of the handler and the dog must be housebroken. So obviously, if the dog is lifting its leg while it's walking through a store, it can be asked to leave. And those are really health and safety. And that's another thing that the American with Disabilities talks about, is when allowing a dog in, there are times when, for health and safety reasons, it is just not appropriate to have a dog in that environment. Yeah. And the public access part of it, um, which is specific to service animals, is for public places, but there are some places where they don't have that right. What are some examples of that? Well, you know, according to the American with Disabilities Act, there are uh, private clubs, there are uh, churches, Okay. Uh, religious uh, do not have to, if, they, if it's not open to the general public, uh, they don't have to allow a dog in. And then there are some uh, some areas that are, you know, sort of the gray areas. And there's a wonderful uh, video done by the Department of, Ju- uh, Department of Justice and the Department of Health that's on the International Association of Assistance Dog Partners website from the conference last year that is on hospitals and healthcare facilities because there are occasionally in hospital and healthcare facilities places that uh, dogs would not be allowed to go uh, and the, the, uh, the video is very, very well done and very specific, but if you need to dress up to go into an area, uh, in other words, put on a gown or a mask or cover your hair or put booties on your feet, mm. then that would be an area that dogs would not be allowed to be. Okay. And that's the International Association of Assistance Dog Partners. Assistance Dog, dog Partners. Partners. Okay. And their website is www.i a a d like in dog p like in partner uh, dot org o r g okay. and when you go to that site the information it'll say conference uh, and then you go on that and you'll have access to uh, to watching this video which for people who work in the healthcare uh, industry or people who have service dogs who have constant, you know, who constantly are using the healthcare, wonderful educational tool. Okay, cool. IAADP.org, and I'll post the links to all of the websites that we mentioned on today's show on our homepage, which is dogradioshow.com. And then, of course, the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound is a wonderful resource for the local community. Um, If you are someone who's uh, either works professionally in the industry as a as a dog trainer or uh, is someone who is partnered with an assistance dog, um, great resource locally and great community um, just to get support because it is an ongoing, um, you know, ongoing uh, maintenance of the team. Um, And that website is assistancedogclub.org. And I'll post again that link on our homepage as well. Um, This week is International Assistance Dog Week, August 3rd through the 9th. And we've talked about the legal definition of a service dog, um, 
does work or performs tasks for someone with a disability. And Jean, you mentioned it's important that this um, that a disability is actually something that is documented by a doctor. That is correct. It's not self-diagnosed. Um, and this is important for a number of reasons. Um, now, I want to, um, when we come back from break, um, to talk about the um, regulatory or, or lack of um, aspect of of service dogs, because this is a a, a rapidly growing industry. Um, there's a, a lot of um, awareness and also a lot of room for, like you said, sort of fake service dogs where people are like, oh, I, I want to take my dog on the plane with me or I want to take my dog to the department store with me or whatever. And it's not a service dog. Um, and there isn't at this point a regulation um, but there are efforts. And so I want to talk to you about your perspective about that. And then to also give some people some information about, you know, if they are considering or interested in partnering with a service dog, uh, what are the options for pursuing this, you know, the right way and, and getting that dog the training that it needs and, you know, different organizations, which, I mean, there are even in the last five years, it is just staggering the number of organizations that are popping up and kind of give some people some information about what to look for to, you know, look for legitimate organizations versus ones that are not necessarily giving them what they think they're getting. So we're going to tackle all of those issues uh, and information when we come back from break. And we're talking with Jean Hample, who's the founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound. And we're celebrating International Assistance Dog Week. Jean, did you say there was a number you wanted to give out you mentioned earlier? Yes, I did. And the number uh, is the number of the, uh, de- uh, actually, Department of Justice, uh, uh, ADIA, oops, ADA Information Line. And that number is 800-514-0301, and that's the voice number. And then if you need to use TTY, it would be 800-514-0383. And they have somebody answering uh, the hotline. Remember, it is in Washington, D.C., so there's okay. a three-hour difference from Washington State. Okay. And you can ask questions if you have a problem with a service dog, if you're a business owner, or if you have a service dog and you have a problem or a question, you can call them up and get advice. Okay. Great. So that's the Department of Justice uh, Americans with Disabilities Act information line. Um, 800-514-0301 or for TTY, 800-514-0383. And I'll post that information on our homepage as well. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Gene Hample talking all things assistance dogs. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. See the dog and butterfly up in the Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. 
Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, call us at 206-329-0253 or email info at jetcityanimalclinic.com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet, a local family practice. JetCityAnimalClinic.com. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to the Northwest School of Animal Massage, we cover the world of animals. This week, August 10th, it's Energetic and Harmonic Healing Sunday with Jude and Paul Ponton from Whispering Dragon in Seattle. They'll be in the studio with their Accutonics forks, Tibetan bowls, bells, rattles, and puas, eager to take your phone calls. So plan to call in for remote balancing, healing, or clearing sessions for you, your animal friends, your home or business. Martha Norwalk's Animal World. Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. The Natural Pet Pantry is Seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals, offering eight different protein options to accommodate your pet's dietary needs. Made locally using all U.S. sourced ingredients, their freshly ground stews, raw or cooked, can be purchased from their two stores in Burien and Kirkland, most independent pet supply stores, or delivered right to your door. Go to naturalpetpantry.com for more information. I'm Julie Forbes, and my first choice for my pet's food is the Natural Pet Pantry. It's the educated choice. News, traffic, and weather? Now you can get your information fixed weekdays on Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m. Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We are back with Gene Hample, who is the founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound. Gene, welcome back to the show. We are celebrating International Assistance Dog Week this week, August 3rd through the 9th. Uh, in the last segment, we've covered a lot of ground, talked about the legal definition of a, of a service animal, the types of uh, service animals, guide dogs, and other types of service dogs, hearing dogs, medical alert dogs, um, all sorts of, of wonderful ways that people can partner with a service dog. Um, and about the, you know, a little bit about the... Um, public access and, and all that kind of thing. And I wanted to talk in this segment, Gene, about your thoughts on, um, well, first of all, just if someone's interested in potentially partnering or know someone who is poten- interested in potentially partnering with a service animal, um, you know, what are the different ways that you can legitimately go about doing that? And then in some of those ways, other organizations are involved and so what can people do to make sure that they're getting involved with an organization that's going to deliver what they say they will? Because that's not always the case, unfortunately. So there's situations where people can sort of self-train uh, a service animal or, um, you know, maybe work with a trainer locally, but not necessarily have a dog sort of trained completely. So, so speaking to that um, part of it, um, what are some mistakes that you see people make maybe um, really frequently when they're trying to own or train? Great question. I would say the big, well, there's, there's so many big mistakes. Yeah. Uh, I know some wonderful owner trained dogs. Yeah. And, but usually the people were dog trainers mm-hmm. or involved in the dog world before they became 
disabled or a family member became disabled. Okay. And so they had that background. What I see most frequently is that a person, if they're not familiar with dogs, they don't know how to choose a, the right dog for the task. And right. that, that becomes a problem all for both people uh, or both parties because the dog is going to be miserable its whole mm. life. Yes. And the person is going to not have a dog that is as functional as it could be. <laughs> and so I, to me, the biggest thing is you have to be able to choose the right dog. And most owner trainers just wouldn't even know where to begin mm-hmm. to choose the correct dog uh, for the job. And I'm, I'm seeing that in a lot of these programs that are, are popping up, wanting to uh, place dogs, for example, with veterans with traumatic brain injury and post-traumatic stress disorder or even mobility problems. They're, they're thinking that they can just go to the shelter. Yeah. And, you know, it's a win-win situation and right. save these dogs from death and this dog is going to be able to be trained to be a reliable service dog for this veteran and there isn't a reality to that yeah i used to take dogs out of the shelter uh for the prison pet partnership program and we had approximately a 20 percent success rate Mm -hmm. that would mean i would go through 40 dogs in a year and maybe place eight Mm -hmm. but the owner trainer or these small programs they can't absorb that kind of, of fallout. They mm-hmm. get the dog, they love the dog, they want the dog to be able to do the job, and they've been told by everybody that this is, you know, pie in the sky, mm-hmm. that it really works, and they're, and they're given wrong information. And so they choose their wrong dog for the job at hand. Yeah. And I would say it would be hard, even even for somebody who maybe knew a little bit what they were doing, to, to sort of make that judgment call in the presence of the emotional attachment that they have to it working out and that they might not see things, be, you know, just out of either denial or, um, so, you know, I think judgment can be clouded also if you're making that choice for yourself because you're so one invested. one of the big things is that if you do not have a vision in your mind of what a really well-trained service dog supposed to look like mm-hmm. you you you're not going toward that goal yeah and the average owner trainer really doesn't have any idea how many hours of training careful selection and hours of training that went into creating that beautiful working service dog mm-hmm. There's a lot to, you know, it's more than just having a dog that's friendly with everybody. I mean, there's a there's a, a lot of pressure on these dogs, a lot to to do the work that they're required to do. I mean, and to to make sure that, you know, one of the things is to make sure that the dog, if you could ask the dog, would you sign up for this? That the dog would say, absolutely, this is very, you know, this is what I'm meant to do. I'm a working dog. I love the work in addition to feeling comfortable in all sorts of environments and all that kind of thing. Um, But I think people don't appreciate what they're really asking the dogs to do. Um, It's, it's a lot of work. You know, I have to agree with you, Julie. I, and I watch these dogs and I, you know, the ones that are really well-trained and that are working and they work very, very hard. And, but they, most of them dogs that are coming from programs, they've been bred for this. Mm -hmm. 
they've you know they know that we don't breed uh, this female dog because her puppies tend to be shy or skittish. Yeah. They've carefully chosen, they've selectively bred dogs. And even the programs have about a 50% dropout. Yeah, that are breeding for... That are breeding, yeah. selectively breeding for the qualities that they want in a service dog, and mm-hmm. 50% of their dogs aren't going to make it. And and yet somebody feels that they can, you know, it's a once and out. They go in and get a dog, and they're sure that it's going to be their service dog. And I, for me, it's almost chalk on a blackboard when I, I see something in the newspaper that said so-and-so's five-month-old service dog was got out of the yard or got stolen. And, you know, and I don't blame the person in the sense that the journalist should know better to, to use the correct terms that, you know, at five months, it's a puppy. Yeah. It, you know, it, it has a lot of time to learn and train and most importantly, to mature. Yeah. And, and that's the thing I don't see owner trainers doing. I, I don't see them willing to give a dog time to mature into who the dog is going to be as an adult dog. Mm-hmm. They want to start working them way too young and, mm-hmm. and the dogs are, they just burn out. Yeah, and and dogs are going through fear periods. You know, at eight months they go through a fear period. At eighteen months they go through a fear period, and yet they're still trying to work these dogs through those periods rather than just letting them grow up. It would be, you know, it's almost child labor law. Right. Yeah. You know, you don't go to work and hold a job until you've gone to, you know, through college and and you're a mature adult. You know, yeah. you don't ask six-year-olds to, to work full-time. You don't ask 12-year-olds to work full-time. Right. And that's what people are doing with these dogs when they begin to try to work them before they've grown up. So someone who is considering, maybe has not um, connected with a dog yet, but is considering, you know, doing sort of the owner-trained model um, what would you suggest to them, you know, in addition to connecting with clubs like the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound, talk with some professional trainers, maybe consult with a professional service dog trainer and helping to select a dog for themselves? You know, I really, I really think that it is just so important. Selection of the dog is so important. Yeah. And, you know, this is sort of a little infomercial, but on the IAADP website, the other talk uh, that was at, the, at that same conference is another um, uh, YouTube video on how to assess a dog for a career as a service dog. Oh, great. So that, you know, somebody should needs to watch that. They need to realize that this is not an easy thing to do. They need to also not do it alone. The, yeah. the, the least amount of money you will ever spend is to hire a trainer, someone who's familiar with working with service dogs, if you want to get a dog out of a shelter or a rescue, to go with you Yeah, and have them assess the dog. Because, you know, dogs are, you know, service dogs are more than pretty faces. Yeah. And you have to know what you're looking for. And of those 40 dogs that I would bring in every year, I probably assessed the majority of them, and I still was only putting out eight. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and granted, I got better at assessing as time went along, but I had that, I had that luxury, and the average owner-trainer doesn't. Uh, I think the other thing that an owner-trainer needs to do 
is they need to make a decision of whether they, you know, want to get a puppy and raise it, whether they want to get an older dog. And in that uh, YouTube video, I talk about all of those things, the, the pros and cons of going through each um, are going through a rescue, getting a puppy, uh, getting a, an older dog that a, maybe a breeder has had for a while and mm-hmm. wants to wants to place. Mm-hmm. So you know, I all of that information is on that in that YouTube. Does it seem? It seems to me like it would be a better option for somebody to connect with a dog that's you know gone through, you know that's that's an older. Um, either an older puppy or young adult uh, rather than, you know, getting an eight-week-old puppy? Because, I mean, how are you going to, you know, aside from just temperament of the parents and, you know, all those kinds of things, I mean, how do you know what you really have? And I think the similar thing with dogs from shelters, you know, there's a, a at least two-week and, oftentimes more period where you don't even know who you have until the dog really settles in. So, you know, being prepared if it's from a shelter to, you know, either rehome the dog if it's not a good fit and be prepared for it to maybe take a few tries. And then in the case of getting a young puppy, I mean, that I feel is especially risky because you've now invested, you know, emotionally and otherwise raising this dog and then once the dog hits, you know, two years of age, it's like, ooh, this is not what I was. <laughs> this dog is not equipped for this work. How is this person going to rehome that dog? It is very, very difficult. And the one benefit of the older dog is you can do hip x-rays. Mm-hmm. You can do elbow x-rays. You can make sure the dog is orthopedically sound right? as well as temperamentally sound, uh, which you don't know with a puppy. Right. It's, you know, it's really, really hard for people to own or train, and I think that some people who have had program dogs in the past might try to do it, but for someone to do it who's not had experience with service dogs, it's really, really difficult. Because I really always recommend, when, and I get calls, several calls a week about service dogs, and I send everyone to Assistance Dogs International Mm -hmm. and to their website, to, to look for dogs, uh, to look for programs in their area or programs that place dogs in their area. I look at the Assistance Dogs International somewhat like I look at the uh, American Medical Association. Okay. Would you want to be, um, you know, would you want to go to a doctor who said, I don't need to join the American Medical Association, I don't need to be board qualified, I don't need to uh, be active in my local medical association, I don't need to do anything like that. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens when you look at some of these programs coming up that aren't aligning themselves with a group like uh, Assistance Dogs International and are going out on it on their own. And, you know, sometimes, you know, granted, you have to be a nonprofit to be a member of Assistance Dogs International. Mm -hmm. But, you know, people will say, well, you know, it costs money to do that. And I'm like, if you can't afford to do that, you don't have the money to be training dogs. Dogs cost money. You know, so that if you get a dog from one of those programs, your chances of getting a dog that is going to be able to meet your needs is just so much greater and people say, well, there's a waiting list, but the waiting list is not nearly as painful 
as having to rehome a dog you've fallen in love with yeah. or to be constantly stressing a dog that you supposedly care about because it's not fit for the job you're asking it to do. Right. So as f- t- sort of moving towards, you know, organizations that that train and place service dogs with people uh, where these dogs have gone through months of training and evaluation and, you know, all of that, um, that that really helps reduce the risk greatly. And then you also have the support of hopefully of, uh, you know, team training where the, you know, I mean, training the dog is only a part of a successful team. And, And as you know, with your work with the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound, the owner, you know, handler partner aspect the human part of it is probably you know as as much if not more difficult and that it's something that's ongoing it's a moving evolving uh relationship um and some things sometimes things come up and the person needs to figure out how to work the dog through it or whatever the case may be so your first word of advice would be that this the organization is involved in some larger like assistance dogs international um some larger um, entity that, um, that, you know. That would definitely be my first thing, is to make sure that this is a, an organization that's been around a while, that has a track record, that is involved with Assistance Dogs International. Yeah. The other thing, though, that I tell people is read your contracts. Yeah. When you're talking with a, a, a group, even in the very, very beginning of the process, Ask to see their contract, because sometimes a program will have something in it, and it can be a perfectly good program, yeah. but it'll have something in its contract that you don't feel comfortable with. Mm-hmm. Is that negotiable? You don't want to find that out after you've done team training. Right. So I, I tell people, you know, ask if you can talk to people who have gotten dogs from the program. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they have a, a, a puppy-raising group in your area, can you visit with the puppy raisers? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, try to find out what you can about the program. Also find out what they expect of you. Some, some programs do team training uh, in your home or in your place of business uh, where you work or go to school. Other programs you have to go for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And spend, you know, two weeks at a facility, uh, maybe paying for a hotel for two weeks. So you want to know all of the things that will be required of you as a person looking for a service dog. But you also want to look at what your expectations can be from the program. Right. So as you said earlier, you do your due diligence and, uh, you know, really check check some organizations out. And if you aren't comfortable or confident just doing that on your own, or you feel like you don't know what you're going to, what, you know, what to look for again, you know, organizations like assistance dogs international organizations locally, like for us, assistance dog club of Puget sound, those resources do exist. Um, and it sounds like you've, you've mentioned the conference was that international association of assistance dog partners conference. That is, sounds like it's a, and that website also is a great resource, informational resource for people as well. So there are a lot of resources out there. You just have to know where to look and just get some support, you know, if you're working with, if you're partnered with a service animal or looking to be. One of the calls that I get very frequently 
mm-hmm. and for people that are listening and trainers, local trainers that are listening. Yeah. Very often, somebody will call me up and they'll say, you know, I can't find any information, and which I always find is interesting. I think because I eat, sleep, and breathe this, that everybody knows all this. Right. But the truth is they don't. But they'll say, well, I called a trainer in, a, in an area, and they said, well, I don't train service dogs. Mm-hmm. And they may have a dog that they're they're thinking they want to train as a service dog for their son or their daughter or a husband or, or themselves. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, you know, really, before you even begin to think about making this dog a service dog, you know, you need to find a really good local trainer and take the dog through the uh, through obedience until the dog can easily pass the canine good citizenship test. Mm-hmm. And so I... I don't, I don't want trainers to just freeze and say, you know, I don't do service dogs, right. when in fact so much of the public access behaviors are things that trainers do all the time. Right. When they're, when they're training a dog through, now we have the, the original canine good citizenship test, and then there's the canine good citizen community test. Mm-hmm. So there are hallmarks when you're training a dog, if you're doing it yourself, that obedience trainers or obedience instructors can really be helpful to someone who thinks that this is what they want to do with their dog. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that there are also some resources. Uh, There's a wonderful book on training diabetic alert dogs Mm -hmm. that's called Training Your Diabetic Alert Dog by (laughs) Rita Martinez. Uh There is uh, Lend Me an Ear by Martha Hoffman uh, that is a book on training hearing dogs. Mm -hmm. So there are you know, there are resources out there, but until you get to that, even to that point with your dog, the public access skills, those things can really be helped by, by trainers uh, who train through the canine good citizenship test. Yeah. All right. Well, I got a call about a, a question just this last week about service dogs, and it, I think it was clearly misinformed, but I'd uh, be curious to hear your feedback about it, Jean. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be talking more with Jean Hampel. Uh, this week, August 3rd through the 9th, is International Assistance Dog Week, and Jean is the founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. Hey Seattle, this is Julie Forbes. When I got engaged a couple of years ago, one of the first things my fiancé said about our wedding was, we need a wedding planner. I thought to myself, what do we need a wedding planner for? We hired Jenny Harding and New Chapter Weddings, and I now know there is no way we could have done it without her. If you are planning a wedding or corporate event, do yourself a favor and hire New Chapter Wedding and Event Planning. They did an amazing job for us, and they will for you. Find them online at newchapterweddings.com. Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair discusses issues that are important to you, like good health and well-being, finding a new job, and building your business overcoming life's big challenges and making sense out of chaos and living with passion and joy. Join us Mondays at noon Pacific for Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. See conversationslive.net for show schedule and guest information. This is Julie Forbes, dog training behavior and nutrition specialist and owner of Sensitive Dog. 
thoughtful guidance for you and your dog. If your dog needs basic obedience training, a behavior evaluation, or food consultation, I can help you. Call me at 206-372-7399 or visit my website www.sensitivedog.com. I teach group obedience classes, in-home lessons, and evaluations, and a two-week intensive training program called Higher Education. Again, I'm Julie Forbes, Seattle's Dog Behavior Training and Nutrition Specialist www.sensitivedog.com Like what you hear? Be sure and support the sponsors who support your favorite programs on Alternative Talk 1150 AM Welcome back to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes, and we are back with Gene Hample, who is the founder of the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound and former director of the Prison Pet Partnership Program. This week is International Assistance Dog Week, August 3rd through the 9th. And uh, this week's show, we've been talking all things service dogs, and we've been covering a lot of ground. If you've missed any part of this episode or any of our over 280 episodes. You can find them all archived on our website, dogradioshow.com, and all as a free podcast on iTunes. And um, I'm also posting all of my shows now on our Facebook page as well through SoundCloud. So it's another easy way to listen um, to the new shows as they get posted. So if you're on Facebook, be sure to find us there as well, The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. And just to give the information about the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound, um, the club that Gene founded, the website is assistancedogclub.org. And um, you guys are also on Facebook as well. Is that, that right, is Gene? correct. So find them on Facebook, too, and I will post um, all of the assistance dog-related links that we've mentioned on today's show. I'll post all of those on our homepage as well. So if you've uh, missed any part of this or couldn't write it down because you're driving or whatever, you can just go to our homepage, dogradioshow.com. So I'm one of the things that I think makes, I know me and I, I think you as well and other people I know in the industry kind of make us want to bang our head against the wall is when people... Um, misuse the terms service dog, therapy dog, emotional support dog. Um, I got a call from a woman this week who um, is moving into a, a, a condo or moving back into a condo that she owns. And in the laws of the condo association, it says she said that a dog has to be a service dog to be able to live in the in that particular group of condos. And um, now I know that, so first of all, Gene, just to clarify, we did talk about the, the definition of a service dog um, at the beginning of the show. But w- So what's the difference? Because service dog and therapy dog, those two are used interchangeably, and they are completely different things. Very true. And... Also, with the call that you received and the information that the woman got about moving into her condo is that we have been talking about the American with Disabilities Act, Mm -hmm. and housing is under the Fair Housing Act. Okay. And the definition of a service dog under fair housing is not the same as the definition of a service dog under the American with Disabilities Act. Interesting. So, you know, to add to the... The overall confusion, we then have uh, two, you know, 
gov- federal government agencies with totally different definitions of what a service animal is. It's helpful. But the, the, a service dog, according to the American with Disabilities Act, is a dog that is individually trained to do work or perform tasks for a person with a disability. Mm-hmm. A therapy dog is the term, there is no legal definition of a therapy dog. Okay. Is the term that has been coined by Delta Society and Therapy Dogs International and Therapy Dogs that are, that are taking dogs that people own and testing them for temperament and for aptitude and, and, um, and also knowledge and their obedience and their temperament so that they can go into facilities to provide comfort and fun for people who are in hospitals and nursing homes, Mm -hmm. uh, people who are in group homes. Uh, Some therapists actually will use a dog uh, in, uh, we call it animal-assisted therapy, Mm -hmm. and they'll actually use a dog to facilitate children, uh, especially children, in both uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. And so those dogs, yes, they are helping people, and some of the people they're helping may have a disability, but they're not owned or handled by those people. Right. They are being handled by another person. Right. And that is what we, what is what we refer to in the dog world as a therapy dog. Right. So I'm if I'm if I have a therapy dog, my therapy dog and I are going to go to the children's hospital or the nursing home and we're going to have a therapeutic presence just by basically visiting with and being with being there. And we are a team help helping others as opposed to a service dog who is working for the owner handler. That's correct. The other thing that's a very big difference is therapy dogs have uh, a person with a therapy dog uh, has no right to public access. Right. So when you go into a facility, you're in there because you have been invited. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have no uh, right to be there because right. you have this dog with you. Right. And so people... Uh, you know, who have therapy dogs, they they can't go in. They can't go into restaurants, and they can't go on the buses. They're they're just to visit in in facilities. Okay. Now, what about? And we just have a few minutes left. What about emotional support dogs? Okay. Emotional support dogs. The the term, and it's used by Fair Housing. It's uh, it's used in uh, in talking about. Uh, the differences is that an emotional support dog has does not need to have any training. Okay, it provides comfort, and the the uh, American with Disabilities Act specifically says that comfort, protection, and companionship are not service dog tasks. Right. So, an emotional support dog, they provide their you know the people who have them, and this is a ha- basically a housing issue. Mm-hmm. Um, they are. They have to be a person with a disability, and but the dog that they have is not trained to assist them in any way. It's the companionship and the presence of the dog that just makes the person feel better. And this is the same for uh, airlines. For the Air Carrier Act, uh, talks about emotional support animals accompanying people on planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, according to the American with Disabilities Act do not have 
you know, right to access uh, like service dogs do with their disabled handler. Okay. So, and then again, you know, a disability disabled is, is actually um, not something that you can just self-diagnose and That's say, correct. well, I have it a disability. Is, it is a medical legal right. term. Right. Well, there's, um, there's, there is so much to this, the world of assistance dogs. Um, there is a lot that goes on, uh, you know, as we've, we've covered just a, a, a tiny bit and we've covered a lot of ground on today's show, but there is so much to know about the ongoing partnership, uh, the work that's involved in maintaining the partnership, maintaining the dog's training. And then what we talked about today, a lot about the the challenges of, of, of selection and successful selection of a dog in the first place and how programs who breed dogs for their programs still have about a 50% dropout rate because it, it really, the, the, the combination of traits that a dog has to really be successful and happy as a service animal is so specific. Uh, and there's, there's really quite a bit to it. Um, now, Jean, you mentioned a lot of resources for people. I'm going to post this information on our homepage, but I just want to go through this again. There's the International Association of Assistance Dog Partners, and that is IAADP.org, so their acronym, International Association of Assistance Dog Partners, IAADP.org. There is the Assistance Dog Club of Puget Sound, which is assistancedogclub.org. There is Assistance Dogs International, which is um, also referred to as ADI, and that is assistancedogsinternational.org. So those are all some really great resources. And then, Gene, you also gave out a number for anyone who has some questions about service dogs, whether you're a handler or whether you're a store owner, uh, the Department of Justice, uh, Americans with Disabilities Act information line, which is the um, uh, entity that regulates, I guess, or not regulates, but sort of defines and protects people with service animals and also, um, you know, store owners and stuff like that. The, the phone number that you can call also, and this is an East Coast line, um, so just be sensitive to the time, um, 800-514-0301, and then for TTY, 800-514-0383. And uh, this was all in an effort to support uh, International Assistance Dog Week, which is this week, August 3rd through the 9th, uh, just working to raise awareness um, and educate the general public, uh, people with service animals and without service animals about them. Um, and just a reminder to people to let, let if you see a service dog working with their partner to, Gene, uh, would you say the best advice you could give people is to just leave them alone? Just leave them alone <laughs> and ignore them. Yeah. You know, it's not a time to pet. If people don't go up and ask people, oh, you have a service dog. Where did you get it? What's wrong with you? Right. You know, it's just rude. Yeah. You know, people with service dogs want to go about their life and as expediently as possible, just like everybody else. Yeah, and to and to not talk to the dog or bark at the dog or distract the dog, let them do their work. Jean, thank you so much for your time. It's always a pleasure to have you on the dog show, and um, happy International Assistance Dog Week to you. Well, thank you. I'm always glad to be here and always appreciate you letting us talk about uh, 
service dogs. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks for listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes. We'll be back next week live from 2 to 3 p.m.